0: And it's a great way to help support our podcast so that we can continue to bring you inspiring episodes twice a week with our enlightened guests from all around the world.
1: Check out our Patreon. Today, we have this author, Louise Hamlin. She joins us today to tell us about one of the most extraordinary afterlife stories we've ever heard, which she details in her new book, WhatsApp from Heaven, Bereavement in the 21st Century. Louise is joining us today to share with us her unexpected communications that she received from her late husband, Patrick, through the WhatsApp, and we can't wait to hear all about this.
0: Hi, Louise. Hi Shanna, very nice to meet you.
1: Good morning.
0: Hi Mandy. I just finished your book. I really enjoyed it. I was in complete shock. (laughs) Well good, I'm I'm pleased you enjoyed it. Well we're super excited to have you on today. Um, We love Gavin, so thank you Gavin. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, yes Gavin is lovely. He really is. Yes, thank you so much for coming on to The Sense of Soul today.
2: Well thank you very much for inviting me and I'm delighted to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I would like to share something that happened this morning. I was finishing up reading your book and all of a sudden, no kidding. My dog has never done anything like this. Starts getting scared and runs out of the formal living room and starts barking. in this corner, like, like my dog was seeing someone there. And I was like, Patrick, are you here? Because you know, I'm reading this book. (laughs) It was the first time I've ever had an experience like that in this house.
2: (laughs) Well, he does seem to get around, he really does. (laughs) And I mean, he has said to me through mediums that he can be in two places at once, and he's aware of what's happening the whole time. So
1: I don't begin to understand it. My dad told me one time that he could be at two places at once. Right. And I talk about that in my near-death
0: experience because I tell people that myself, that when I had my outer body experience the first time, I could be everywhere and anywhere at the same time. Golly,
2: I think that we're a little bit like fish swimming in the sea. And we have a nice social life. We have our coral reefs and our friends and our swarms and things. And we have no idea what it's like to live on land. We don't understand anything out of the sea. And I suspect that that's a bit like the other world. And they can look down at us in the sea and they think, you haven't
0: got a clue. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you really didn't have a clue. And then you've been getting tastes of clues ever since Patrick passed away in 2019, correct? Absolutely. When he passed away, we did talk
2: about death and the afterlife before he died, because we knew he was dying. We had both been lawyers, you know, we'd been very logical and always wanted the evidence. He said, well, I'm not afraid of death because it's either nothing at all and that's nothing to be scared of. Or if there is something, he said, then I think I've led a good enough life, which he had. So he said, I'm not scared of death. He said, I'm scared of dying because of the pain and everything, but so said, I'm not scared of death. I got that, and I sort of agreed with him. And then when he died, I didn't really think that there was an afterlife. Because of that, I hadn't asked him to send me signs if there was one, because, you know, sort of 90% of me didn't really think there was. But there was that 10%. And because I was just desperate to know that he was okay, and desperate to sort of have some communication with him if he was still around. I went to mediums and my friends started getting signs and then I started getting signs and I was still very skeptical, very
0: skeptical until at last I thought, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm convinced. What is bile ducts cancer?
2: It's an unusual cancer, but apparently it is on the rise and nobody knows why. And the, bile ducts they're sort of like a tree of little ducts okay in the liver and from the pancreas and they mm-hmm. pass bile out of the pancreas and the trouble with it is you don't really have any symptoms until it's too late so he didn't have any okay. symptoms until he was stage four and then had three months to live It's a pity, it's one of these silent killer cancers. I'm so
0: sorry Um, for your loss. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. You also dealt with an illness yourself that I've never heard of. It's a disorder of the bone marrow.
2: And, you know, when I was diagnosed with it, spoken to no doubt a very, very clever specialist, but he didn't really have very much empathy. He said, well, you'll be okay for 10 years. And he said, but you're not going to make old bones. And when I was a bit upset by this, he said, oh, I don't know why you're upset. I have to tell a lot of people, a lot worse things than that. Wasn't terribly empathic. And anyway, I have managed to control it with lots of healing and you know, good food and exercise and more healing. Um, but Patrick and I both knew that I was likely to die first. And, you know, I was really pleased about that. I felt sorry for him, but I was pleased about it. So you just never can tell, can you? You just never know what's around the corner.
1: (laughs) Well, why don't you give us some history about you and Patrick? You know, how'd you guys meet? Yeah, okay. Well, we met about 17 years ago, I
2: suppose. For me, you know, as soon as I met him, I thought, this is the man I want to be with. He wasn't so sure. You know, we started going out and we had friends in common and, you know, we were both lawyers. So we had, and we were both interested in history and we both liked the countryside. We had a lot in common. And I didn't realise when we first met that he actually did not want a committed relationship. You know, he was divorced, as was I. He thought that he didn't want to go down that road again of sort of having a, A committed relationship and marriage and what have you. So we had a very nice time as girlfriend and boyfriend for a few months. Then I can remember his saying, Oh, well, I don't do love. And I thought, Oh. And I thought, Well, I had been once in a relationship where my love was unrequited. And I thought, I don't want to do that again. And so I said, Well, I'm going to break up with you because I'm looking for love. And so we broke up for about probably about seven or eight weeks. And anyway, then he got back in touch with me. And we discovered that he did do love after all. And it was it was a fairy tale, really, because we both loved each other very much. And I can remember thinking when we got married, well, this is really, really a happily ever after day, you know. And it was happily ever after until this wretched cancer.
0: What a great story. Wow. How old were you when you met him? I was 52. I think that's important for people to know that a lot of people later in life they can find love. Oh, I'd had quite a long marriage to the father
2: of my children. He'd had quite a long marriage to the mother of his children. And you know, I'd had then quite a few years by myself and just hadn't met anybody. And I'd sort of rather resign myself to living the rest of my life by myself. And anyway. We
1: were very, very lucky, we really were. Do you feel like he was like a soulmate of yours? Do you believe in soul family? Totally, totally
2: and utterly. And the funny thing is, I knew as soon as I met him that he was the man
0: I wanted to be with. I I say he didn't know, sister, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I knew that. I'm sure we were soulmates. I also love that I see blended families working out. You know, they come together and support each other.
2: Yeah, I mean, our children were quite old by the time we met. In a funny sort of way, they've all become much closer since Patrick was ill and then died because they were all here. And so they all sort of spent more time with each other than otherwise they would have done. And so they're very close now, which is lovely.
0: Being that you guys had spoke about death and afterlife, Did you guys have like a spiritual plan for him when he was transitioning? Were you able to be bedside with him for every moment? What did that look like?
2: Well, he died at home. He wanted to die at home. And I wanted him to die at home. I was with him and the children were here. You know, I'd been by his side throughout. You know, we carried on sharing our bed. I, I wanted to be with him the whole time. And then, and he lost consciousness. And I carried on being with him and talking to him. Yeah. And then he died.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I, You know, I just recently had a friend whose grandmother had chose to exit the world before her cancer took her. Here, we're one of the seven states that you can get assistance to help you in death.
1: You know, and I had no idea that we had that here. I've heard of it before, but it must have passed like under the <laughs> under the wire where I didn't see.
2: Which state are you in? Colorado. Right. Yeah. Do you know? I think it's such a good thing because three weeks ago, I sat by the side of my 94-year-old aunt. As she was dying and I sat with her for two days and she was gasping for breath and eventually she died. And just three days later, my spaniel was very ill and I took her to the vets and the vets said, yes, she had a growth. She had cancer. She could possibly live a few more weeks, but she would be very uncomfortable. So I said, "Okay, then, you know, let's say goodbye to her. And it was instantaneous. And I just thought my dog had a better death than my aunt. It's very difficult.
1: So then you do agree with that. Yes, I do, very much. Yeah. I've lost a lot of close people to me too. And it was interesting that there was this common thing that with two of them who I was really close with happened is that I had my first contact with them, surprisingly, cause I'd never had contact from anyone prior. <laughs> Three days after. So one with one of my good friends, Nisha, three days after she passed. And then same with my dad, three days later. And I always think of how, you know, Jesus rose after three days. Yes, You know, I'd love to hear your story of how you first heard from Patrick.
2: Right. I mean, I first heard from him through my friend Jenny. She's psychic and she's a healer. It was about four or five days after he died. She sent me a WhatsApp, which is like a text. I mean, my book is called WhatsApps from Heaven, and I discovered that in the States, um, WhatsApp isn't as universal as it is here. It's a messaging app. She sent me a WhatsApp saying, Louise, I'm not sure whether I should tell you this or not, but look, here's a photograph of a flame. And there was a photograph taken from her window of a flame in the next door garden and she said this morning I was thinking about Patrick and I asked him to send me a sign to say he was okay and she said and I asked for a flame not in a fireplace or a candle but a flame and I thought that you know that would be quite distinctive and might be possible for him to do who knows and anyway she said I then went about the rest of my day and I had a very busy day and I rather forgot about it and this evening I went to draw the curtains in my sitting room. And there was this flame, tall, single flame in the next door neighbor's garden. And I rushed and I got my phone and I took a photograph and then it went and it was very unusual. It was weird. And I couldn't see the base of it because the fence was in the way, but she said, here's the photo. And I think it was Patrick sending a sign saying, yes, you know, I'm all right. So that was the first potential sign that I got. know I thought oh well I mean Jenny doesn't believe in coincidences but at the time I did I thought you know it could have been a coincidence and then in fact um, she then got another sign um, and another friend of ours who's also quite psychic she got some signs and they were different types of sign
1: so a friend saw feathers, lots of signs. You, you surround yourself with all of these psychic friends. For someone who was almost 90% <laughs> sure <laughs> that there wasn't an well, afterlife, I'm <laughs> surprised. Well,
2: well, I guess, I mean, I do have a lot of friends who didn't get any signs. Oh so, okay, yeah. this is the ones who did. So then the WhatsApps, which, you know, really, really made the most impact on me. I have started a couple of months or so after he died. I was out one day and I came back to the house and the house had been empty and it's been locked up. Nobody there, no radio playing, no sound at all. And I found all these words in a message box ready to send to Maria. It was all sort of gibberish really. There were lots of individual words that were proper words and then there were other words that weren't and it just went on and on and i thought "Well, how has that happened and i just couldn't make sense of it i was about to delete it all and i thought oh i'll just send it to maria and see what she says so i sent it to maria and said you know hey i just i found this on my phone in the message box already sent to you what do you think it means she said no idea the next day She then sent me a WhatsApp back saying, hey, Louise, I found this in my message box ready to send to you. And it was shorter. It was a short paragraph. And there were some words that didn't quite make sense. But three times it said in this paragraph, darling, it's me. I thought, wow, wow. But then, though I sort of was 99% sure that Maria hadn't made this up, you know, there was always a slight possibility that she decided to jump onto some weird, inexplicable bandwagon. And maybe there were more WhatsApp messages which just appeared. They said things that Maria couldn't have known, but they appeared on her phone. And so I was thinking, well, Maybe he can manipulate WhatsApp. Maybe he's able to send these messages. But I wasn't totally, totally convinced. And then in the August, I was out walking my dog with the phone in my pocket and I got back and I pulled the phone out of my pocket and the phone told me that I had created two WhatsApp groups. That's like group chats. One called Hamlin's, one called Hamlin family, one consisting of Patrick and me, one consisting of Patrick, his daughter and me. And I looked at my phone and I thought, I didn't do this at the time. I didn't even know how to create a WhatsApp group, but I had not done it. Said so I'd done it at 11.06 a.m. and I knew this at 11.06 a.m. I had been walking my dog on the common and the phone had been in my pocket. And I stared, and I stared at my phone, and I thought, my goodness, it can only have been Patrick. He has done it, he has done this. It was that that made me realize that yeah, he could communicate with me. And I was thrilled and delighted. And what I should say is, it was his daughter's birthday that day. And I think that he was also doing it as a birthday present for his daughter, to tell her as well, to say to her, hey, I'm alive. Was she a believer? No, not really. I think she is now, but she wasn't. So anyway, and the WhatsApps continued, and then there were many other signs as well. And I also was going to mediums, and I had extraordinary experiences with mediums too. The evidence just piled up and became irrefutable. And then
0: he kept using the word Sri Lanka?
2: Yes. So I think it was four times in total he said Sri Lanka. And that very first message that he sent, which was mostly gibberish, but it said the words Sri Lanka. And in fact, this last March, I went to Sri Lanka on holiday. And the reason I went was because of these messages. I had a great time. I loved the country. I was always waiting for something amazing to happen. Well, if it did, I didn't notice it. So I don't know why he kept on saying Sri Lanka, but
1: maybe for whatever reason, he wanted me to go there, Then I did. Do you still talk to him? Oh, I talk to him all the time. And you still get these coded messages? Um,
2: I've had one since I wrote the book. I haven't had a WhatsApp recently. The last one I had from him, which isn't in the book, I've got all the others in the book. The last one, I can hear you, darling, please hear me.
1: Oh, my God. And so did he call you, darling? All the time. That was what he always called me. Oh, my God. So also you had some actual physical paranormal stuff happening as well,
2: right? Yeah. Yes, I did. Quite extraordinary things. I mean, I did have lights going on and off. I did have some feathers in very strange places. I was in bed at about two o'clock in the morning and I couldn't sleep. And I was thinking, oh, Patrick, why did you have to go? Why did you leave me? Which I think is quite common for people who've lost their loved ones to sort of think that. And suddenly there was this terrible thump right outside my bedroom door. My bedroom door was ajar. I was terrified. There was nobody else in the house. And I thought, what earth was that? So I lay there absolutely rigid with fear, waiting to see what was going to happen next, and nothing happened. And so in the end, feeling very brave, I got out of bed, and I turned on the light, crept out, and I discovered that a book had flown out of the top of the bookshelves, which were there in the half-landing, and had flown out with quite some force, because it had travelled some distance, banged onto the floor, and that was what had caused the noise, and there was absolutely no reason, or no material reason, if you like, why a book would have done that.
1: <laughs> and I thought, oh, oh, Patrick saying, I haven't left you. You know, oh. I'm still here. Well, and being a lawyer, I bet you, you're, you know, your mind is okay. We have to prove this, you know, to be, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> You yeah, that's the explanation. You know, I had something similar happen. It's like that force that was behind it. Because I remember my mom saying, well, maybe it was a mouse that ran on the mantle that made that fall. And I was like, all of it. And then it was, there was a bang. Just, you know. I mean, I don't have mice in the house. There was no
2: reason at all yeah. that I could find. For this what book, book was it? It was Started um, Early, Took My Dog by Kate Atkinson, which is, and she's an author I like. But, you know, I don't know that the book itself was particularly significant other than that I knew it had been on the top shelf because my books were vaguely in alphabetical order and she was an A and the A's were on the top shelf.
1: Well, I'm impressed by that. Well, it was, yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which part? Uh, About alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And then in fact, it happened again. And this is quite interesting because I had been to see a medium, probably about four mediums in total. And this medium, amongst other things, she said, Patrick says, do watch the birds. And he and I had become very interested in birds shortly before he died. And we hadn't really beforehand. We had when we'd been on safari together in Zambia and had seen all the amazing birds there. So I started to look for the binoculars And I knew we had some binoculars, but I couldn't find them. That night, again, about two o'clock in the morning or so, I was lying awake in bed, and there was, again, a thump outside the bedroom door. And this time I was a bit less scared. Yeah, I was still a bit nervous, you know, just in case there was an intruder. But then nothing happened. So I went out, and, yeah, another book had just whooshed out of the bookcase onto the floor. And I bent down to pick it up. As I was sort of down picking it up, I saw the binoculars, which had been tucked into the bottom shelf of the bookcase. I thought, oh, oh, Patrick's showing me where the binoculars are. You know, I looked everywhere for them, but hadn't looked in a bookcase.
0: You know, I get this feeling now, and even when I was reading it, that... He's being very light spirited with you. He's reminding you to like, just go do new adventures and have fun and that he wants you just to be happy. Those are kind of the loving messages that I get in my own mediumship. They're all just very simple. A lot of them aren't like these really deep emotional things. They're very lighthearted and come from love. And I feel like that's kind of the messages I was getting from him to you. Does that make sense? Oh, I think that's lovely, Mandy. And I mean, I'd never actually thought of it like that, but it makes
2: perfect sense. I think that, oh, that's really lovely. Thank you very much for
0: saying yeah. that. And, you know, Shanna and I have had a paranormal investigator come into her home. I think a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is for spirits to speak to us so the fact that he's coming to you through this whatsapp and for our listeners who don't know what that is because some people might not it's an app you can download and chat with people and the way it came in discombobulated made tons of sense to me because as a medium myself these messages don't always come in clear i think it's very hard for them
2: You know, I think that he sort of got better, if you know what I mean. So the messages became more coherent with time. And I imagined him sort of trying to mentally use a keyboard.
1: Mandy has mediumship as well as you speaking to people on the other side, as in loved ones and people who have messages. I speak to people on the other side who are like ancient freaking aliens and... (laughs) You know, ancestors and past lives. I mean, it's so interesting how this gift can be channeled into so many different things for so many different reasons. So my question is, have you ever connected with anybody else besides your husband?
2: Well, I have, and this is quite funny, really. So I went to see a medium, I suppose it was probably last summer, and she was one of the mediums I had seen fairly soon after Patrick had died and she'd been very, very good and she'd really impressed me and had said things that, you know, she couldn't possibly have known. And I just felt it'd be nice to go and see her again and just sort of chat to Patrick again. So I turn up and she knew that I wanted to speak to Patrick and she said, oh, a woman's here. She's got dark curly hair and brown eyes and she's quite short and she's very forthright, very determined. Oh, it's your mother-in-law. So I said, no, 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 my mother-in-law was blonde and she was quite tall and she was very gentle. We ended up having a bit of a standoff, medium and I, because the medium kept on saying, no, it's your mother-in-law. And I was saying, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. And in the end, the medium said, oh, well, we'd better park that. And then just as she said that, I suddenly said, oh, it just sounds like Patrick's mother. And of course, I had never known Patrick's mother. Patrick's mother had died before I'd met him. So I was thinking of the mother of my first husband, whom I'd been very fond of. And then everything she said about this woman was utterly right. And she said, oh, and the woman looks as though she's dressed for a wedding. And I said, well, yeah, you know, Patrick's son is going to be getting married. And she said, oh, she's very pleased about that. But I just thought that was extraordinary because the medium kept her ground, even though I was being really stupid. Also, a woman, a woman I had never met in this physical life was coming to give me a message, which, you know, I hadn't
1: really realized could happen.
0: I think that's beautiful.
1: It's more like Mandy, who will sit next to somebody on an airplane and be like, hey, you know, I know I don't know you, but you're... <laughs> Someone, you're getting a message. <laughs> oh, I hope I, I sit just, next yeah. to you on an airplane, Mandy. To tell me you where you're applying <laughs> to. Where? Yeah, no, go That's to the nice. same grocery store as Mandy. You might get a reading. Okay, you are. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been to Colorado.
0: And it's a beautiful state. It oh, is so it. beautiful. You know, I loved how you added into your book kind of the positives and the negatives that went along with your grief. You talked about even physical effects that you had, like memory loss and how over time memories would come back. What other things did you go through during your grief?
2: I mean, to start with, I couldn't eat. And I mean, I'd lost a huge amount of weight and I continued to lose weight. Not only could I not eat, but I just didn't want to eat. I wasn't interested in food. I was very lucky that I had friends and family who would come round and actually sit me down and put a dish of something in front of me. I ended up, in fact, having quite a few of those sort of liquid meals that are sold for the elderly because I could just about digest those. I could hardly digest proper food. And obviously, you know, it slowly calmed down and slowly came back. I felt as though I had lost all my boundaries I just felt as though I was an amorphous blob of liquid. I had a very deep lake of dark water inside me, which churned. It was a very strange feeling and a very uncomfortable feeling. And meditation helped with that. In fact, I found that the only way that I could still this terrible churning inside me was meditation. And of course I couldn't sleep. And it has taken sort of until now, really, me to get back to my rather good sleep pattern that I used to have when Patrick was a little bit. So that has taken a long time to come back.
0: That part of the book really grasped me because you said you felt like no boundaries and that sometimes you would even, what was it, like take really cold showers or baths to just be able to feel like your body.
2: Yeah, because I think you completely lose your sort of sensory awareness of your body something like very cold water would at least give you some feeling. Grief is horrendous, but, you know, you can get through it. And I found that the best way of getting through it was just to absolutely and totally live in the moment, which, you know, of course, we're all told to do, and which is really, really difficult. But the only way I could sort of survive was just by thinking, whatever that might be, lunch or somebody was coming around or somebody's going to give me a phone call. So I think, okay, so I've just got to survive until an hour's time when whatever is going to happen happens. And I literally just sort of divided the day into very small chunks and just thought about
1: that tiny chunk that I had to get through. How long was it from when he passed and then you started receiving the first messages? How long was that? I suppose I had messages from him which I didn't really
2: recognise as such quite soon after he passed. I mean, in the immediate aftermath, when I think I was totally numb and immersed in grief, I wasn't conscious of anything happening around me. And I guess that it was probably about six weeks after that somebody said, ask for a feather, ask for a feather, ask for a feather on the train, because they knew I was going to get a train. And so the next day... Oh, I had asked for a feather on the train and the carriage was quite crowded but I could see a couple of empty seats just at the far end. So I sort of walked out quickly and sat down with a sigh of relief on one of the empty seats and I just glanced down at the seat next to me and there was a feather. And in retrospect, of course that was a sign. There was Mm -hmm. nothing in the carriage that would have caused a feather to be there. But you know, at the time coincidence. Yes.
0: Yeah. I kept thinking that you had so many signs. Why is it that as humans, we are so skeptical of these things?
2: (laughs) I don't know. And I mean, it's quite strange because I was brought up in the Church of England, which I think is called the Episcopalian Church in the States. So in theory, you know, Christians believe in an afterlife, but in practice, We're sort of taught to be very materialistic, aren't we, and and rational. And I read a lot, you know, trying to make sense of what was happening and trying to make sense of Patrick's death. And I started reading all about quantum mechanics and things. And I realised that there is just so much we are totally incapable of understanding. And there's so much that seems irrational, but happens, you know, quantum entanglement and all of that. And I thought, well, yeah, we're really silly to
1: be so blinkered and just believe what we can see in front of us and can explain. Yeah, and I think that, I didn't want to stay in my grief. I had to take care of my kids. I wanted to be strong for my family. And so I kept myself busy, 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 distracted, distracted, distracted. You're not present enough to see maybe the feather. So I definitely with my dad, I was a little bit more present because I was going through mindfulness classes and all the things. But I see people who try to push that grief away. And I think that that actually separates them from the opportunity to actually receive the signs or see the signs or make that connection. So it seems like you were really accepting of the grief, allowing yourself to grieve. I did just let myself succumb to the grief. And in
2: fact, you know, the doctor offered me various pills and potions. Right, that too. If I'd had to look after children or if I'd had to carry on with the job, then I'm quite sure that I would have taken these pills and potions as a way of coping. But I didn't have any of that. I said, no, thank you, because I thought, you know, I'm not ill. This is not a medical problem. This is a life problem or a death problem. I always wanted to feel the grief because I felt that if I felt it, then it wouldn't last so long,
0: if that Mm -hmm. makes sense to you. She was dealing with this during COVID as well. So when the world slowed down. You know,
2: I was actually one of the very few people who really benefited from lockdown. And for most people, it was a horrendous time. And for me, it sort of happened a year after Patrick had died. I'd had this year when I'd been in a deep dark valley, if you like, and I gradually started to clamber out of it, but I was still very tender and fragile. And so having the opportunity just to be without any
1: social pressure was actually really helpful for me. Wow. Many of their cultures do that. They take that time to grieve. Yeah. And I hate to say, well, lockdown worked for me because I just know that for so many people it didn't
2: work. But it helped me. It gave me that buffer, if you like.
0: Yeah. yeah. I just really enjoyed how you added in like the positives that you were able to see within your grief and the negatives like one of the negatives was when people ask how are you doing. Well,
2: do you know, in the end I sort of worked out what I could say because I didn't feel that I could say oh I'm fine, which I knew is what they wanted me to say because then they wanted to carry on talking about something else. And so they didn't want me to say well, I'm just, I'm lost in grief and I'm, I'm missing Patrick terribly and I feel incomplete. And so I would just say oh, I'm living day by day. And that was, that was enough for them to then sort of push the conversation on. But I felt yeah. that I was being honest because that's what I was
0: doing. Do you have the book in front of you? Yeah. Can you do me a favor and go to page 85 and start with his loss?
2: Okay. His loss is like a heavy stone within my being. Its sharp edges have been worn away with time, and so now it is rounded and is no longer acutely painful. Sometimes it is cushioned by positive feelings of love, and at other times it is hard and unyielding and seems a bitter weight to carry. A bitter weight but one I would not be without because it also carries my memories of Patrick and my past happiness. And it will accompany me as I walk into my future happiness.
0: I loved that what a beautiful way that describes grief, you know, it's sharp edged rock and then it's tumbled and yes. over, over time it becomes like a smoother rock, but sometimes it still shows it's jagged edges. And then the part about you saying you carry it to help you in the future was like, you can tell you've really worked through your grief and come out on the other side and can be very influential and helpful to people that are dealing with grief because just in those words shows to me that unfortunately this was part of your purpose but you have found blessings in it and a way to go on.
2: Yes I have I mean as I say I wouldn't be without this sense of loss which is deep within me because I wouldn't for a million years ever have you know missed knowing and loving Patrick and being loved by him. And I think that I was very, very lucky to have such a fabulous relationship. I mean, it sounds trite to say that time heals, but with time, you do actually then find a way of living. The stone of grief just becomes part of who you are.
1: Well, I bet a lot of people are going to get off this episode if they haven't already and get the WhatsApp. I don't know if you have affiliated um, link or something, but you should. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got a website,
0: which is louisehamlin.com. Because Everyone's going to try to go on the WhatsApp and talk to their loved ones on the other side. <laughs> so you should be sponsored by them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, I expect that Patrick, was a particularly, particularly determined and stubborn man. And so he was able to do it. And it may well be that there are souls who have passed who are full of love for the ones left behind, but can't quite manage to do that.
0: You know, yeah. who knows? Well, we always say they meet you where they can. And he knew that's where he could meet you. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: Thinking about that, you know, the age of Aquarius, the time of technology, you know, yes. we can use technology to connect in this way. Yes. And I mean, I did a lot of reading, as
2: I have said, and I discovered that in the literature, there are quite a lot of examples of people who have passed then communicating by telephone or by email. I haven't found anybody else who's communicated by WhatsApp, but, you know, no doubt it has happened. Yeah. yeah and will and we'll continue to happen. And isn't it great? That we've got mm-hmm. all these technologies that that spirit can
1: then take advantage of. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, we we don't question why you and I can see each other right now and the energy that's in between us that's going yes. you know, how the hell? We don't question that. But we question the fact that our loved ones want to talk to us and <laughs> send us signs. I know. I know. <laughs> And everything is energy, isn't it? It is. What kind of
2: lawyer were you? I was a property lawyer and a tax lawyer. I mean, you can't get much drier than that, can you? I <laughs> love it. And how about Patrick? He was a barrister and a judge. He did common law, which meant quite a wide range of things. Planning yeah. law, contract law.
0: Yeah, yeah, a wide range of stuff. I'm surprised he didn't try to reach you through like Taxes or numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, he <didn't> not <laughs> He was Although, far more numerate than I was. <laughs> there were some numbers in those messages on the WhatsApp. Tell them one more time your website and where they can get your book. I shall. Yeah, so the book is WhatsApps from Heaven by me, Louise
2: Hamlin. And you can get it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or you can order it from any bookshop. And my website is... Louise Hamlin, or one word, dot com. Yeah, and I invite people to email into my website with their stories. And I've had lots of really lovely stories. So that's been nice. Oh, I love
1: that. So, and How I'm would so- you say that your life is since your husband passed? It sounds like there's been a, a big shift in your life, spiritually anyways. I think there has been, Shannon.
2: And you know what? I sort of felt impelled to write the book, and I found it very easy to write. I just sat down and wrote it, and then the first publisher I sent it to accepted it. And felt that Patrick was behind this. I felt that Patrick wanted me to tell the world. Yeah, because so, yeah. he was
1: shocked. He was like, "She's got to tell people this."
0: <laughs> <laughs> well. And it's, it's so intriguing because people that are in your professional position are usually very facts and science minded. And we keep hearing it through a guest that we have on that science and spirituality are getting married. It's really becoming one thing. And it's very beautiful to see people shifting.
2: Yes. And one of the reasons I wrote the book as well was because I wanted to validate the experience of other people who have been bereaved and think that they've seen signs, but then haven't liked to tell anybody for fear of being thought crazy. And I've found that a lot of people, when I've spoken to them, have sort of said, well, yeah, actually, I've never told anybody this, but after so-and-so died, then this happened.
0: Yeah, we must tell the world. Yes, and guess what? If you're crazy, then I wanna have crazy friends like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, likewise. <laughs> And now it's time for break that shit down.
2: Oh my goodness me.
0: Well, I guess that
2: love is everything. And love comes in sort of all different sorts of shapes and size. And now I not only have my wonderful love with Patrick, which still survives, but love for my family and love for my friends. But yes, open, open yourself to love and enjoy receiving love as well let mm. yourself receive it
1: and get yourself a out. <laughs> yeah <laughs> mm.
0: you've been wonderful thank you so much for coming on and for putting yourself out there and being authentic well thank you both and i think that you're doing a wonderful thing
2: with your podcast i really do mandy yes. Shannon, yeah. thank you so much i really love talking to you